today we're going to be exploring Genesis 3. This is humanity's fall into sin, that uh, forbidden fruit, that dreaded apple. Have you ever been asked by a non-Christian about this story and found it really quite hard to explain it? Because sometimes there's a few things in the Bible we, we find it hard to explain. And, but if we dive in today, hopefully what we're going to do is we're going to understand the text better and understand a better way to be able to actually share this with people and share the love of God with them as well. But before we start, I would love to pray. So would you please join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much that, Lord, you use broken vessels like me uh, to preach your word. Lord, I pray that you would speak to me, but you would always also speak through me, God. Lord, I thank you that your word goes forth and it never returns void. So may your word go forth today. May you prepare our hearts to hear it. And may they not look to me, but only look to you, God, because you're the one who brings life and life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, so far in the story of Genesis 1 and 2, we have this creation account. We have this beautiful creation that God makes. And he makes this beautiful creation with humanity in there as well. And he creates Adam and Eve, this human beings made in the image of God. And, and they're in this direct relationship with each other and this direct relationship with God. And, and they have dominion out of all creation. And God's with them. God's actually living there with them. They're in perfect relationship with each other and with God. That sounds amazing, right? That uh, sounds like what you would call heaven. A place where there's no sin, there's no pain, there's no sorrow, but just perfect love between us, between creation, and perfect love between God. But then chapter 3 starts with this encounter between Eve and a talking serpent. So we're going to start right there and get right into it. Now, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing evil are uh, good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So this is the story of the fall of humanity, the, the original sin this defining moment in history that sets up the whole rest of the Bible and salvation. Even if you're not a Christian, you, you know this story, right? There's, a, there's these stories that we have in the Bible that every kid knows. You know, like Noah's Ark and we have all the animals. You know, Jonah getting swallowed by a fish. And this story here, everyone knows the story of the fall of humanity. This time where we, we've sinned and there are these stories in the Bible we all know, but this story here in Genesis 3 is, is of sin and disobedience. And the problem is, we can suffer from something called the lullaby effect and not really understand the story or what the author is actually trying to relate to the reader. Because we've heard it so many times and we've heard it from childhood, it just becomes this like fantasy story. Just, just becomes like, yeah, yeah, that's the story. It's all, it's all okay. So the problem is, the problem is when we, when we have a lullaby effect, we just skim over stuff, even the weird stuff. And to prove that we have this effect, the most weirdest part of this story is a talking snake. 
right? And we kind of like brush over it. It says, The serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, God has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Like, come on, that's weird, right? And we actually need to acknowledge that if we're Christians. That's weird. Because that's really hard to defend against when you have a non-Christian asking you about talking snakes. Like we need to be able to understand that and talk into that. So there are two questions that arise from this. What and who is this serpent? And why would God allow evil, this evil being in the Garden of Eden, if it was all good and perfect? Well, to answer the first question, this is not your everyday garden snake. What we have here is this special being. It's intelligent. It's a being that is interacting with humanity. And it says that this being is more cunning than anything God had made. You know, we see this word as a negative, right? Because we see the snake here and we know the end of the story. So we think cunning is a a negative word, but the Hebrew word is actually not negative. The Hebrew word for cunning is arum, which means sensible, shrewd, prudent. It means someone is actually intelligent, smart and wise. So it's actually a a positive description of of a personal trait. And if you look at the book of Proverbs, the Hebrew word there, arum, is used all the time and it's a good attribute. One of many examples is Proverbs 14.8. It says, The wisdom of the prudent, Aram, is to understand his way, but the folly of a fool is deceit. So it starts with this positive description of this serpent being that's prudent, intelligent, more than all of God's creation. Therefore, it's not like this garden snake that can talk, but an intelligent being that's prudent and wise. Did you know that there are serpent-like flying beings around the throne of God? Like this may come to you as a shock because it did for me when I first learned this because we attribute snakes with evil and, and, and not good things that's opposite to God, right? Because he's holy and righteous and we think snakes, they're opposite, but they're around the throne of God. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah has this vision of God on his throne and he's looking at God and he's looking at all these beings around the throne and he says in Isaiah 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two wings they were flying. And they were calling to one another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, whose earth is full of his glory. The word translated there for seraphim is the Hebrew word seraph, which literally means serpent or fiery serpent. So we have these fiery serpents, these spiritual beings that are around the throne of God, and, and they've got six wings. With two, they cover their face. With two, they cover their feet. So they have feet. And with two, they fly. And they speak because they, they're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, continually worshipping him. And they had this special place in the presence of God. So this is just not some random garden snake we have here. This was a being that was so intelligent that had an honorable position before God and decides to go against God's will. All the theologians would agree that this serpent in Genesis 3 is Satan. And many theologians believe also that it was this moment was not only the fall of humanity into sin, but also the fall of Satan into sin as well. They believe that it was this this dual effect, this dual fall of Satan and humanity. And they get that from Ezekiel 28. In Ezekiel 28, Ezekiel's having a vision of God. 
And God's speaking directly to him, and he's speaking to him about Satan. And he's talking as if he's talking to Satan. And the Lord God said, You were the seal of perfection. You were full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in, the, you were in Eden, the garden of God. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in all your ways from the day you were created until wickedness was found in you. We see from this text, who is this person? Satan was in the Garden of Eden. He was there with God. And he was perfect and he was blameless and God had made him perfect. But there was this moment where wickedness was found in him. And this is the amazing thing. When we look at this this text, we go, okay, was Satan good before he fell? Yeah, well, this is what it's saying. And we don't know the time length between when Adam and Eve were created and when they fell. It could have been a day. It could have been six months. It could have been a thousand years. We don't know. The Bible doesn't actually tell us. So in that time period somewhere, the pride of Satan comes up and he comes up with this plan to deceive humanity. And then in the rest of uh, Isaiah, uh, Ezekiel 28, God then actually speaking to Satan really gives it to him. He says, you were disgraced and you were cast out from the mountain of God. You, are, you were a guardian uh, cherub, but you are, I am expelling you. I'm throwing you to the earth because of your pride. So we see that Satan's in the garden. It was all perfect, but pride and sin was found in him at some stage. And we need to know this because people will ask the question, they ask me all the time when we do Alpha, well, why did God allow Satan or this serpent or evil in the Garden of Eden if it was all perfect? It was meant to be perfect, right? Well, the answer is, yeah, it was perfect because creation was perfect. The physical and the spiritual was all perfect. It was all together. And we know that there was this overlap in the Garden of Eden. Because we have the physical together, we have the earth and the human beings and all the animals, and we have God walking with them. God is spirit. And we have these spiritual beings as well. Because at the end, there's one guardian cherub guarding the way to the Garden of Eden so they can't come back in. So there was this overlapping time. But then at some stage, Satan decided to sin against God and humanity went along with that evil plan. So we go back to the story and Satan asked Eve, says, so, can you not eat of all the trees of the garden? Can you not eat any of the fruit? And she's like, no, no, no. We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Interesting here, according to Genesis 2, God told Adam this command. He didn't tell Eve. So at some stage, either God has told Eve or Adam's passed on that we're not meant to touch that tree. We're not meant to eat it. The other interesting fact is, that they actually add a rule. Because when God tells Adam, don't eat of the tree unless you will surely die, he doesn't say don't touch it. He says just don't eat it. So Adam probably added an extra rule. It's like me with my kids. Like when I'd take my kids to my parents' house, when they were young, they would touch everything, right? Like if it was shiny, they would pick it up and they'd throw it and break it. And it's like, don't touch it. If you touch that again, you're going in timeout. And it's like, you know what? A matter of fact, don't even go in that room. If you go in that room, you're going into timeout. So we add extra rules, right, to protect the main rule. And it looks like that's what's happened here. It never worked with my kids. They go in anyway. And it didn't work here with Adam and Eve either. Because then it says, The serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. 
For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Interesting fact here is that Satan does not necessarily lie here. Because he may not have been fully truthful, but he didn't really lie because we know that Adam and Eve don't instantly die, right? Like they eat of it and they don't lie. So he was kind of right there. And then when they ate the fruit, we know that their eyes were open. They were open to sin. So he's kind of right there. And they did become a little bit more more like God. They weren't becoming God, but they did become a little bit more because they know the difference between good and evil. So we see this temptation. It's so crafty. It's so well thought out because he entices them with truth, but not the whole truth. So we need to be careful we don't get sucked into the same trap by Satan and culture and the time we live in. We can easily get sucked into half-truths and sin. Like how often these days with morality and ethics do people say to Christians, oh, you're meant to just love everyone. It's true. We are meant to love everyone. But sometimes the most loving thing to do is to call out sin. Is to say, that's not okay. Is to stand up for injustice is to stand in the gap for people and say, no, it's not okay to abuse your wife. No, it's not okay to lie to other people. But people will try and suck you into this trap of, oh, you're not being loving. It's like, yep, that's true. But sometimes the most loving thing to do is to call that out. So the question is, do we trust God's word? Do we trust the Bible's authority that we live by? Do we trust that God has communicated to us through the Bible and through what Jesus did? Or do we just get tossed to and fro by the ever-changing ideas and morality and ethics of culture? There are so many half-truths out there that will suck us into sin. And the main temptation here from Satan is that you can be like God. That you can sit on the throne of your life. That you can make the rules. This is the other great temptation in our world today. That people want to be their own God. They want to sit on the throne and say, no, I will do what I want to do. And I don't care what anyone says about it. And we reject God and his call in our life because we want to be God ourselves. And this is the, the temptation that he gives to Eve. The crazy thing was they're already made in the image of God. They were already perfect. And that desire for more, that actually brought sin. That temptation for more. And we fall into that trap as well today. That temptation that we're not happy with what we have and I need more. I need more money. I need more position. I need more power. And we fall into this trap of not being happy with where we are and we would strive for more and more and more. And it causes us to sin sometimes, right? Like we will steal and we'll walk over people to get what we want just because we're not happy with what God has given us. And we don't trust God and his boundaries. Like we understand that God's law is for human flourishing. We think God's a party pooper. And so all the laws are like, oh, I can't have fun because God says I can't do anything. That's not what the law is about. The law is all about us and human flourishing. Like it's not loving to steal from someone, is it? It's not loving to murder someone. That's not exactly human flourishing, right? And we recognize when we follow God's law and we follow his way, it actually brings us into liberty, freedom, and we find that in and through Christ. And we love each other through that. So it continues, it says, The woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So they actually listened to the serpent, 
They're not satisfied with what God had given them, which was perfection. And they disobey God and they eat this fruit and that caused their downfall. And their eyes now are open to the experience of sin. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees and of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam saying, where are you? It's so funny. Does God not know where he is? It's God's like, oh my gosh, where'd you go? I don't know where you are. No, of course not. God knows where he is, right? Because God is all-knowing and all-powerful. What God is saying is something like, when I put my keys down on the table at home, and then I walk away and I come back and it's not there, it's like, hang on a second, where are my keys? Like the keys are meant to be here, where I left them. And God's saying to Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? You're meant to be next to me. You're meant to be in direct relationship with me. You're meant to be walking by my side. What's happened that separated you from me? What is this wedge that has come between us that you feel the need to hide away from me? Where are you, Adam? You see, God created Adam and Eve to have a close, deep relationship with him. And now that's been destroyed by their sin. Why were we created? We're simply created to be in perfect relationship with God and with each other. And Jesus says, love God and love each other. When he talks about the law in the New Testament, he says, all the law and the prophets can be wrapped up in this. Love God and love each other. That's our created purpose. And sin has severed that relationship with God, with Adam and Eve. So Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. There are two really interesting facts here that initially, straight away, the effects of sin are fear and shame. Fear and shame are not from God. They're from the enemy. And we suffer fear and shame, don't we? Like fear and shame are the catalyst for a lot of the issues that we face in our world today. Like how often does fear cause us to racism? Like we're scared of the other. We don't know them. So we, we end up out of fear hurting people and, and talking down to them. Out of fear of not having enough, we'll run over people, we'll steal, we'll destroy. We do so many things out of fear. Out of fear, we won't come to God, even though He's a loving God and wants to restore you and forgive you of all your sins. And then we have shame. Shame is another big one in our society today. People don't feel good enough. They don't feel loved. They don't feel accepted. They don't feel like God loves them or cares for them or wants a relationship with them. These are two massive things in our lives that, that are not from God. Fear and shame make us hide from God and hide from His love. God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? It's like, Adam, who told you you were naked? You had no idea what that was. What God's asking Adam is, is who are you listening to? Like, you've clearly not been listening to me. You've been listening to someone else because I've never said that to you. You've been listening to another voice. You've been convinced by another voice other than God. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, who are we listening to? Are we listening to Satan and his lies about our lives and listening to culture and what it says about that? You need to be better. You need to be more beautiful. You need to be more successful. You need to have the better car. You need to have the better life. You need to be more cool. That God hates you. You're not good enough for his love. Is that what we're listening to? Or we listen to God that says... I made you in my image. Like, I love you. You are loved. You are precious. You are valuable. You are unique. I want a deep relationship with you. 
Because let me tell you, your life and your outlook depend on who you're listening to. And then God asked Adam, he says, did you eat of the tree I told you not to? Again, God's asking Adam something he already knew, right? Like he already knew that he'd eaten from the tree. He knew it. This is a chance right now for Adam to confess and take responsibility for his actions. But we see in Adam's reply, the immediate effects of sin. Instead of taking responsibility, he shifts the blame off himself straight away. He says, the woman you gave me to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. Like we think that um, Adam is blaming Eve, but he's actually putting the majority of the blame on God. He's like, hey, that woman, you know that one you gave me? She made me eat. It's your fault. Like, why'd you give me her? It wouldn't happen if you didn't give me her. This is what he's essentially saying. Like, it's so unbelievable that Adam has the audacity to stand before the face of God and accuse God of his sin. The reason why he sins is because of God. Can you imagine that? We do the same thing. Do we know that? When we say, why does God allow murder? What we're saying is that's God's fault. No, who's murdering who? It's humanity. Humans murdering humans, right? We need to take responsibility for that. It's humans hurting humans. We need to take responsibility for that. We're the ones that are sinning. That is not God's plan. God's plan is not for us to hurt one another, but we need to take responsibility for the sin that we're causing each other. And not only does Adam blame God, but he also blames Eve in it as well. She gave me the fruit. And again, we see this this effect of sin that severs the relationship between Adam and Eve as well. uh, Adam takes zero responsibility for what happened. This is the greatest problem sin has brought into the human heart. We actually refuse to take responsibility for our sin and our part in the destruction of, of the world, of relationships and ourselves. We convince ourselves that our actions are justified because of other influences. So it's like, oh, well, it's okay for me to blow up at them because they said this. We're just acting like Adam there. Oh, it's okay that I stole because they first stole from me. Again, we're just acting like Adam. We're not taking responsibility for what we've done. Jesus actually teaches us there is no excuse for doing that. We're meant to love our enemies, right? And this is the greatest hurdle for people accepting Jesus because to accept Jesus, you first need to accept that you are a sinner. You need to take responsibility that you're a sinner and realize the fact that, that you sinned against God and others and we need to ask for forgiveness. Because if you don't think you're a sinner, then you don't need a savior, right? You don't need Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for you because you don't need forgiveness. So we need to realize and take responsibility for our sin. And so then God turns to Eve. He says, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Again, we see this effect of sin, right? She shifts the blame to the serpent. Eve also doesn't take any responsibility for what happened. So both Adam and Eve don't recognize that they need to take responsibility and repent and ask God for forgiveness. We need to learn this is the first step to salvation. It's repentance. God then starts pronouncing judgment and he starts from the top down. So he starts pronouncing judgment on the instigator, which is Satan. It says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. He had his wings cut off. He was kicked out of the presence of God. He was cast out of that special position that he held in God's presence as a cherub. This honorable position, and now he's been cast to the earth. And not only that, in this next verse, we see this spiritual battle between Satan and humanity. 
that we're under right now. We see it says in 15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. So what's happening here, we have Satan and all his demons are at enmity with Eve and all of her offspring, which is all of humanity. There is this continual spiritual battle between the two. Why? Because humanity has access to salvation through Jesus, but Satan doesn't. There's no forgiveness for Satan and his demons found anywhere in the Bible. In fact, it states that they'll be tormented for eternity in the lake of fire. So there's this, this hatred in Satan for humanity, this, this bitterness. And all he does is come to steal, kill, and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy our hope, our happiness, and everything in our lives. That's what he comes to do. And Jesus says, that's what he comes to do. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I come to bring life and life in all its fullness. Jesus comes to set us free from that. Then he addresses Eve. He says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children, and your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. We see here the introduction of physical pain, that we are going to suffer physical pain in this life now that sin has entered. We also see this part where it talks about your desire will be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. We see in the scriptures that leadership, in a Christian sense, is meant to be servant-hearted leadership. Like if a, if a male is leading, he's meant to lead like Christ and serve like Christ. So leadership is, not, leadership is not dominion or power that I exercise over people. I come from under and I serve. But we see here the effects of sin is domination. Is coming over and, and just destroying people, knocking people down to get to the top. And it's power and influence. And we see that in our lives, right? We see that all across the world. But that's not how God created it. So then he turns his attention to Adam. He says, Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. By thorns and thistles it shall bring forth you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat the bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So work, we're going to have to work for our, for our living, for our food. In the Garden of Eden, the fruit just grew, and they could just take it whenever they wanted. How good is that? But now we've actually got to till the ground. We've got to work by the sweat of our brow. Who agrees with me works hard? It's hard, right? It's tiring. It's nonstop. It's nine to five, maybe longer sometimes. It's weekends. It's hard work. We all agree that this actually happens, right? And thorns and thistles, like who hates weeds? Man, I hate weeds. Like they're just the... Oh. I pull them out and two weeks later, they're there again. I just can't stand them. But sin is like weeds. It just keeps coming up. It just keeps rearing its head in this world. And we read this and we, as if God's punishing them and making life hard for them out of revenge. Or God's like, all right, you, well, you disobeyed me, so I'm going to make life hell for you the rest of, and for the rest of humanity. But that's not what's happening here. Yes, there is an element of judgment, without a doubt, because God is holy and righteous and he must judge and deal with sin. But what God's doing here, he's telling them what the effects of sin are on life. What the curse of sin is going to do in and through everyday life. Sin brings pain and suffering and hardship. It brings things that God didn't plan for us to experience. And we brought that effects of our sin upon ourselves. And we now live in a world under the curse of sin. The whole of creation is affected by it. Paul talks about it in Romans. So why does creation experience it and we experience sin? Well, because Adam and Eve, they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
It's the knowledge that we need to understand here. Remember in the first uh, week I explained the difference between Eastern thought and Western thought. Rather, Eastern thought is all about experience and the why behind the text. So if you ask a person, who is God? They'll go, here's my rock, here's my salvation, a place of experience. Whereas a Westerner, we think in just um, facts. So what happened and how did it happen? So if we explain God, we say well, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent. We put him in a little box because they're nice little descriptions, right? But what we have here, the knowledge of good and evil, an Easterner, a Jewish writer who's writing this, is trying to express an experiential knowledge. To truly know the difference between good and evil, you have to experience it. And so when they, when sin, when they invited sin into life, the experience of sin was not just intellectual, but it was a, an experiential knowledge. And the way I explain this is like, if I just tell you what it's like to kick your toe, you'll be like, oh, okay, that sounds terrible. But you don't really know what it's like to kick your toe until you kick your toe, right? And you do it and you're like, oh my gosh, that kills. You could tell someone, oh, what's it like to ride on a roller coaster? You go, oh, it's amazing. And you just can't explain it intellectually. But when you experience it, what happens? You're like, oh my gosh, that was way more amazing than I thought. I thought I was going to die and I screamed without even knowing it. And so this experience, what happens is we experience that. And what we chose, when we chose to sin, we chose to inv- that the sin and experience of sin would invade the whole of creation. And the amazing thing is, God loves us so much that he is willing to come and experience that firsthand, the effects of sin on the world upon himself. Like Jesus submitted to this world and this world of he's under the curse of sin on humanity and creation. We have a God who knows what it's like to go through pain and suffering to feel loneliness suffer injustice he knows what it's like to be hated he knows what it's like to feel physical pain where he was beaten and lashed and nailed to a cross so we have a god that can understand what you're going through the suffering that you go through every day and we can we can call out to him so sin brings this total separation from god but god frees us he frees us from this sin problem now and in eternity. How does he free us? Well, through Jesus. Verse 20 says, And Adam called his wife Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. We see here in only the third chapter in Genesis, the first sacrifice in the Bible to cover shame and sin of humanity. God killed an animal to make these skins, right? So there was shedding of blood because of humanity's sin, to cover Adam and Eve. How beautiful is that? God's just not like, oh, you guys messed up. I'm going to kick you out and that's it. He's like, no, I'll actually kill something to cover your shame and your guilt. And this is a foreshadow of the gospel. We're only three chapters into the entire Bible of about 1,800 verses, and we already see a foreshadow of Jesus. We already see what God would do to cover our sins. That God would himself would come into this world of pain and suffering, that he would take upon himself on the cross the sin of you and me, those past and those in the future, that he would absorb all that on the cross and he would die the death that we desire to die, that he would shed his blood, that we would be cleansed from the sin and the shame. If you're feeling shame and guilt, then not from God. If you've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, then not from God. The enemy wants you to stay in that place of shame and guilt. But that's not from God because you are set free from that through the cross. Through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he dealt with that once and for all for all humanity. 
And those who repent and put their faith and trust in God receive that as a free gift. And we walk in that newness of life, free from, from guilt and shame. And so at the end, in verse 24, it says, He drove out the man, and he placed a cherim at the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. This is so sad, because this was a place that was perfect, a place where they lived with God, in perfect harmony with creation and God, and they were banished from this perfection. Just take a moment and think about how that would feel. Like if you were Adam and Eve, and you experienced the perfection of God, the love of God, you walked with Him in the garden. You're in perfect unity with creation, with each other, and with God, and then something happens and you're cast out of that. They lived for something like 900 years back then. Could you imagine for 900 years just going, oh my goodness, what did we do? Look at what we gave up. We were already perfect. We already had everything. Why did we give it up for this? That would be so heart-wrenching, right? So hard to deal with. There is a but. But through Jesus and his sacrifice, we're actually invited back into relationship with God now and into eternity. In the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, God promises to recreate this perfect world where heaven and earth meet and this perfect world where God has perfect relationship with us and we walk with God and we're walking with, with him in relationship and with relationship with uh, creation and relationship with each other in perfect harmony for eternity. This is the hope and the faith we hold on to and look forward to through Jesus Christ. I can't wait for that day. I don't know about you. But the day that we can gather free from pain and sin in the presence of our Lord, gosh, I couldn't, have, I couldn't think of anything better than that. Praise God for his never-ending love for us, hey? So the question is for us, who are we listening to? Who are we listening to in our lives? God's asking some of us this question, where are you? Where are you, Scott? You should be walking with me. You should be listening to me. Where are you? And when we love God and when we love others through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're living in our created purpose again. God created us to be in perfect harmony with him and with each other. So how do we do that? By walking with God daily and by listening to him and listening to his words over our life, which means you are justified, you are redeemed, you are loved, you are perfect in Christ Jesus. And we live in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, there are times where I'm not walking with you where I hide from you because of shame and fear. And Lord, that's not from you. Lord, help me walk side by side with you. Listen to your voice. Be prompted by your spirit. Lord, help me walk in grace and truth and love with you. God, I thank you so much that there are some of us here, Lord, that, that feel like they're in the same boat. But Lord, you don't put fear and shame on people. You have redeemed us from that. Holy Spirit, would you just come now? Would they sense that in their heart? Would they sense your presence bringing healing and restoration? Holy Spirit, help us see that we are a new creation in you. We are your sons and daughters who you delight in, that you love, that you want to work in and through. 
And if you've never received the forgiveness of God, if you've never come into relationship with Jesus, God is saying today, I love you. Stop hiding from me. I want to restore you. I want to redeem you. I want to forgive you. There's nothing you need to do. Just put your faith and trust in me. I want a deep, close, intimate, personal relationship with you. I love you so much. I've done everything that needs to be done in and through my son. So if that's you, we just need to repent, turn away from our old ways and turn to Christ. So just pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for Jesus. Forgive me of my sin. I believe that Jesus died for my sin and that through his death, burial and resurrection, my sin is done. Lord, I ask for your Holy Spirit to come and live in me that I would be your son and daughter and be with you for eternity. I thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. How about we all stand and we worship this amazing God together?